this episode of Investors and Operators, I am sitting down with the one, the only Heather Madland of Huron Capital. Heather, it has been way too long for this thing to come together and we're going to have some fun. Can you please tell us what is Huron Capital? Sure, Jordan. Um, we are a lower middle market private equity firm. We've been around for over 20 years. Not many firms can say that. And we're based in Detroit. Not many firms can say that either. Uh, we've also been through an evolution recently. We're narrowing our focus on services companies across 10 very specific niches, CNI services, professional services, and consumer services. We uh, focus on partnering with founder owners uh, to professionalize their companies. We call it finishing school for middle market companies. And we accelerate growth through M&A. Buy and build has been part of our MO and the way that we create alpha at Huron Capital for over two decades. That is not changing with this uh, more focused strategy. Let's get at like one of the questions I had around Huron, which is when you see so many firms that are spinning out to doing their own thing, it's interesting to see that Huron has kind of kept that DNA. And I think you know, there's always stuff that goes on, on like the ebbs and flows of a firm. So I think the, you know, interesting question is how has your team managed to do that? And it's still be here on capital. Yeah. Well, first off, I mean, hats off to the, to the founders, the founding partners of here on capital. I mean, they have created a tremendous reputation and name um, in the industry that is extremely well-known um, shout out to Gretchen Perkins, too, who was part of our team for many years and helped give us visibility as well. But I mean, I think it, it transcends that, Jordan. You know, we being in the Midwest, being in Detroit, I think we have something special over here and the team feels it. It's exciting to be the next generation of a 20 year old firm, being able to build off the legacy of our founding partners, but with a view toward the future. And I think we've all embraced that over here. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time looking at ourselves in the mirror and asking ourselves, what do we want to be when we grow up? It's kind of a euphemism, but we're a young team and we've got lots of years left. And I think the enthusiasm and the energy of our team is fantastic. We also, given our services focus, it's interesting, we are such a people-focused firm in general. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the types of companies that we invest in, but we like each other. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, I hate, I, I laugh because, I, you know, I talk to a lot of other of my peers in the industry and there's always someone they don't, you know, have an issue with. But I got to say, like, I love my partners. We are candid with one another. We have great communication. We gel really well. And we're honest with one another. And I think the ability to get uncomfortable as a team and ask ourselves hard questions is something we do really well. And it motivates us. gets us really excited to wake up in the morning and continue as Huron Capital, building on what the founding partners, um, you know, did the last 20 years. Well, rewinding to who you mentioned with Gretchen, how has Gretchen really influenced your career and how you think about not just origination, but just the trajectory of your career? It's really hard to bottle that up in one paragraph. You should ask her for the love letter I wrote her 
at one point, Jordan, when she was leaving him on, I did, in fact, write Gretchen a love letter. Um, but to boil it down to a few things, you know, she was my soul sister, is my soul sister personally and professionally. But, you know, because we got along so well and we are good communicators, I was able to watch her, observe her, receive feedback from her. And that that woman, you know, she is bold and she does not hold back an opinion and neither do I. And so when you're working with someone like that, whether it's a mentor or your boss, I think it accelerated my career in a lot of ways. Um, she, she was really candid with me and I'm with her. And I think that was phenomenal. I also think one of her, one of the biggest takeaways I have from working with her is be unapologetic about being a working mom. Having her as my boss during the birth of my daughter, Max, and you know, into her now six and a half years of being on this earth. Like, I am so grateful that Gretchen was there um, during those first hard years of trying to balance work and life and, you know, being unapologetic about what I need to do and what my priorities are. And the fact that my to-do list will never get done for the foreseeable future (laughs) was something I really had to wrap my arms around. Um, So that was also um, really amazing. And then, you know, finally, I, she is one of the most, if not the most genuine and authentic person I know. She cares about people tremendously and how wonderful for me to be part of that ecosystem in this really small community that we have uh, to welcome me and for me to be, you know, making it this far in my career in private equity. You know, I owe a lot of that to Gretchen. Let's let's turn over to you know similar culture related stuff in the firm. Um, do you does Huron have like structured ways to have difficult discussions, hmm. or is it just cultural? Where at an IC meeting or whatever, it's just the cultural norm that you're going to challenge things directly, and I'm. Ask that because we're also thinking about how do you give feedback? Is it a feedback sandwich or is it, you know, you have to get feedback, but it has to be backed by data. So it's impersonal and whether that's how we make business decisions or, you know, team improvement decisions, including coming towards Jing and I, I mean, how, how do you as a firm think about quality feedback, whether it's construct, constructive or, or difficult? Look, at the end of the day, in, in my mind, and I think the reason this works so well at Huron is we've created the type of culture where people feel safe having a dissenting opinion or challenging someone else's opinion. And I think that's incredibly important. Facts aside, yeah, come to the table. You better back up your opinion and recommendation, be succinct and relevant with what you're trying to get across. And that's just good communication. But when you create a culture where people don't feel like, oh gosh, I have to jump on that bandwagon because you know these three guys over here said yes to the deal, so I guess I'll say yes too. You know, we've created the safe culture and space to challenge people, and you know what that is? That's how you respond to people disagreeing with you. You know, I, I think in our in the private equity world, I would say in world in general, ego is a really good thing until ego you know, becomes arrogance and you can't actually handle feedback. 
And in for us and the people in my firm, you know, I give critical feedback to someone or or give it or get it. And the answer is, wow, thank you. I'm going to really think about that. And I'm going to come back to you with some ideas for how I might do that differently. It's not, it, it, it's easy for us to get defensive and to try and make ourselves feel bigger because ouch, like someone just criticized me, but you got to get uncomfortable to hear feedback and then to do something with it. One of the more difficult pieces of feedback that you have received. I, I will give you a recent example because um, it's so fresh and it is such a great example of why I love my team. I got a call one morning from from a partner at the firm. I won't name names. And since they're all men, I could say he said, um, you know, I wanted to call you because something you said on the phone yesterday really hurt my feelings. It was a group conference call. And I, I think I, I made a snide comment, you know, totally tongue in cheek. But, you know, he called me on it. And I noticed that and reflected back on it even before he called me. And he called me and told me this. And I said, thank you. I am so grateful that you feel comfortable enough to pick up the phone and give me feedback like that. And if we can't do that for one another, as small as like a tiny little remark on a conference call is, it's like death by a thousand cuts. You know, if you can't confront someone because they hurt you or said something that that hurt your feelings, like you know, in 20 years, those things add up and all of a sudden you're a dysfunctional team that hate each other and have a bunch of resentment built up. And we don't want to look like that in 20 years. You know, we want to be able to tell people how we feel and be honest with ourselves about it. I love that. And it makes me think about with Jing, my co-CEO and wife. Um, That's how you do that, Jordan, but okay. (laughs) It's actually worked out very well because we have very complimentary personalities and interests and skill sets, but we have to work through things as a team, such as because of my industry, uh, how much I've been in the industry and client facing and just know the people in our market. And also my natural personality is going to be louder and more outgoing. Mm -hmm. Um, What it was doing to her is not positioning her as equal internally and externally. And so little things such as making sure not to interrupt and just my natural personality and being ADD is that you want to go through 57 things on an agenda and just bang, bang, boom, 37 seconds for this thing. Next, next, next. But not understanding the downside of that, which is making sure to create space for people who just need that breath to think critically about something in the discussion, but also to contribute equally to the team. Yeah, I cannot agree with you more. And I have a great real life example of that. We recently did our first leadership offsite where we as a next generation team went to all places, Saugatuck, Michigan in November. Why we didn't go to Florida or something is beyond me, but we really wanted this first time to be about the conversation, not necessarily about the fact that we're in some beautiful location. While the house was nice, what it did was it got us out of our normal routine. We're not sitting in a conference room. We're like on couches. Some people are barefoot, right? And 
we're, you know, having a conversation. It is my nature to want to over-engineer an agenda. Ask anyone here on, I'm, ask anyone. I'm very intense. I'm very sense of urgency. Got to click off all these boxes. And we, I intentionally, with the help of, of one of our advisors, created a framework for the conversation that had a bunch of questions to like get us all thinking about it. And that is it. And I put some, you know, general times to the conversation, but there were chunks of three hours where we're answering like five questions. We didn't really know how the conversation would go necessarily, but I got to tell you, Jordan, like that was one of the more, most probably productive offsites I have attended where we got so many decisions made and hard conversations were had and there's tons of follow-up work to do. But that's to your point in, in keeping the conversation fluid, dynamic, and organic, you know, overstructuring something can really dampen creativity and openness. That's interesting. And it's, uh, yeah, because you're coming into it, you want to be comprehensive and you think that these five major points and all these 10 sub points in these specific timeframes, that equals success. And and kind of learn how to work with the team to be able to ebb and flow with their dynamics. Yeah. Learning how to balance creating an energetic, fun, entrepreneurial environment and being conscious of where I might enjoy 10 things in one day, the team might just be overwhelmed. Like, well, what's my priority? You just told me this. And then you told me 15 other things that we got to do. And, you know, as part of a small business, it's part of the energy and the fun that you're figuring things out and you're growing together and it's moving fast, but that can also wear on a team if there's not structure. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that we've had to really grow on as a team, as me as an individual, my weakness is just to provide more uh, a sense of calmness, sometimes and structure and thoroughness to balance that, which what is the natural energy we want to bring to an entrepreneurial business. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. Jordan, I can totally relate to what you're saying about sort of an entrepreneurial environment and trying to create some calm and structure to an organization that's running a million miles a minute. As you know, we finance geeks are all type A. We're all like heads down, get it done. You know, we have to lift our heads up and see the forest through the trees sometimes. And it's, you know, when you realize that about yourself, you can create structure to to creating opportunities where you can actually look up and you've got to prioritize those. You can't say, oh crap, I've got this other call. Can we do this next week? You know, sticking to a schedule and making sure you carve out the time to do that type of thinking and collaborating is really, really important. I also think because we're such a small, flat organization, we are all player coaches. Like no one has earned the right to just be a coach here at Huron. And when that's the case, you're both doing and managing and you're having to get feedback and give feedback at the same time. And I think that type of role and or flatter organization, it makes it feel more organic to give that feedback on a regular basis, um, especially if your leaders are modeling that behavior for you. So if a deal closes, you know, Jim, one of Jim's very first things is he takes each person out to lunch. You know, what, what, what went wrong? What could we have done better? Here's some feedback for you. Like, 
give an opportunity in a one-on-one situation to have a conversation about it. Well, if that partner on the deal then go, says, wow, I'm going to take the VP out and do the same thing. And I'm, we're going to have a conversation. Then VP does it with the associate. Like those, that is what trickles through the organization. If you're leading from a place of openness and, um, and communication. And, and that goes to the other point about feedback and a question about frequency, which is, you know, your partner called you right afterwards, as opposed to, you know, is the sun shining and the stars are aligned? Okay, now is the perfect time to give feedback. No, it's like, yeah. let's do it now. No. So I remember the first time, like, I think I gave the Huron pitch in a meeting with Gretchen. Um, I see her like frantically writing and I'm thinking, well, I'm pretty sure she knows the Huron pitch. She's certainly not taking notes on what we do. And, if, and sure enough, we sit down at the gate at the airport on our way home. She's like, okay. She pulls out her notebook. You can see Gretchen doing this. All right. I got some feedback for you. So, and then she just like checked on the list. When you said this, I think it might be better if you position it this way. I mean, I'm telling you like, and that, that is phenomenal to have someone in your life that is willing to do that, but we all have to be asking for it too. There we go. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Actually, that's related to what Gretchen was giving the team, which is coaching. So, I mean, do you have any coaches in your life and how have they uh, worked with you and impacted you? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the phrase that I think Jordan, you're, you're familiar with when it comes to me is what got you here won't get you there. And it's one of those phrases where if you sit down and actually think about what it means, I think in my mid thirties, this is before I had children, I thought, okay, where do I want to go in 10 years? I've, I've somehow managed to be a woman in finance, run really hard, get to where I am, sort of vice president at a, at a private equity firm. You know, I want to finish my career out here, but like, what do I need to do now to get there? I want to seat at the table. Um, I want to do more than this. I'm capable, I think, of doing more than this. How? And so I was randomly having breakfast with a woman named Lauren Eisbrenner. She's a presence coach. Little did I know, I thought I was talking to like a PR, um, someone who ran a PR firm and she had just started this coaching business. And I said to her, you know, I've been thinking about this. Could we talk about it more? And she belongs to, you know, one of the social clubs downtown that my founder does. And he found out I was doing this. And, you know, lo and behold, Huron invested in me to hire this coach for six months and I was going to do it myself. So kudos to Huron for seeing the opportunity to lean into their people and invest in the future talent of the firm. But, you know, it's a little like professional therapy of you know, sorts. And, you know, it wasn't, oh, hey, here's how to manage your life. Here's how to get from a VP to a principal to a partner. It was calling four people, four or five people at Huron and outside of my life where I have leadership roles and asking them not, do I have the technical skills to do the next job or any job, but you know, what, what are the other things that are holding me back from progressing in my career or, or might be holding me back from progressing my career? And it's not the kind of stuff you're going to get in a performance review. Like we were just talking about Jordan. No one's going to sit down and say, you swear too much, Heather. You know, and that's really uncomfortable to hear. But I think getting that feedback and having her, you know, survey all these people in my life to really understand how am I showing up 
in all parts of my life? And what can I do to show up even better as a better version of myself? And so swearing, okay, that's a small example, but real, um, you know, in my twenties and thirties, working alongside these, these guys in, in not a, you know, um, not the type of atmosphere we have today necessarily. Um, you know, I swore like everybody else, but when you start reaching a, another level in your career, like that actually detracts from, from you and how people perceive you. Another one is energy management. You know, I, I'm, I'm in sales effectively and I have an externally facing job. So I'll be out at a conference or in someone's office. They're like, God, you have so much energy. I mean, it's just like, bleh, you know, and Jordan, I think you might know a little bit about this yes. um, as well. But, you know, I learned that some people don't have that level of energy and it actually is off-putting or it detracts from the credibility that you might have in other situations, like in a boardroom, when you're with two of your colleagues trying to make a case or give an opinion. And just being able to read the room, observe and manage your energy level to match both the, you know, the objective for the meeting, but also the rest of the people in the meeting and what makes the most sense. Those are two really interesting points. First on swearing, so I'm the same way. And what I found is that I actually want to change because it's about creating a positive mindset. And it's one of those little things that is just not conducive to a positive mindset. And it can create a cynical attitude or a sarcastic attitude as opposed to the one that I want to be. And I was like, how in the heck did I get here? Mm-hmm. Like, did the, did the two kids just beat it out of me? And this is where I am today. <laughs> The two kids, the business, et cetera, et cetera. And like, oh my God, where, how did I get here? And yeah. I think it's first recognizing that, you know, that's part of it. But then on the second part with energy management, you know, I'm, you know, we're very similar in the amount of energy production, but it's like, how do you adjust it to meet the situation, not to match the situation because you still want to be yourself. Yeah. And part of what makes us us is that level of energy and just excitement about freaking anything we want to learn about. But it's yeah. like creating boundaries is at like plus or minus five percentage points of energy. Like, okay, here's our band. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you make a really good point. It's not like being like everyone else. It's figuring out who you are and bringing your best self and most authentic self to the table. Um, One of the other things that was holding me back was, you know, uh, too much. So it could be too much talking, too much side conversation, too much laughing, too much, too much anything. And being succinct and articulate in this industry that moves, um, you know, a million miles a minute is really critical to, making it to that next level and, and all too much emotion, of course, because women are so emotional. I think emotion is critical to bringing your authentic self to the table. So it's not about not having emotion. It's about being able to verbalize and identify the emotion within yourself and be able to talk about it without reacting while you're feeling that emotion. 
So it's the, you know, it's the tried and true respond versus react advice that we get oftentimes. But if you're reacting, you're actually squandering your power because all they, all people see is all emotion all the time. Whereas if you can identify the emotion using your words and how that impacts a decision or an opinion or a recommendation that you need to make, that actually gives you power. And I think we'll get noticed. Uh, so that's interesting on the respond versus react because yeah. Jane had the same discussion of, you know, we look back in the past three years and whether it's, uh, you know, a, a decision in the business or someone on the team, whatever, like emotions are good. They're natural. They're productive. They make it real. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they make it real. And we need to write down what our thoughts are so that we can be productive about the decisions that we're making as opposed to just react because it's, it's not really thoughtful and it's not really doesn't, it's not really productive. Nope. And, and unfortunately our society rewards overachievers, people who are busy and productive, who just go, go, go without feeling right. And I was one of those people, but I do think that once you figure out, oh, wait a second, I know when I'm angry, I feel like my body, I feel this in my body. Like I'd be in a meeting. This is before I went through all this work. And, you know, someone would say something that I've just like so disagreed with, but I was like, my everything just like was on fire with me. Right. And like, how is it possible that I'm not going to react when I have all those strong feelings? I couldn't even identify the name of the feeling, let alone Mm. why I was feeling that my body that way. So So it's so important for us to get in touch with who we are because our bodies and how we're feeling, they tell us so much about, that's our intuition speaking. And in business, when you're sitting across from a founder and he's telling you about your business and you're feeling some good energy or you're sensing something's not quite right, like listen to yourself. And and I think that's where women can, can really have an edge in business is they bring that sort of, and I don't even want to say softer side because that's not it, but they bring that dose of reality and vulnerability to the conversation when I think we're programmed at a very young age not to and mm-hmm. to brush that under the rug. And and so I I don't hide from that in my role at Huron. Everybody knows that about me and I'm going to speak up and I'm going to talk about it. How have you managed business life and personal life? And how have you thought about separating or integrating? And if there are some kind of, you know, recent examples of that to kind of, you know, bring it to life. Yeah, I think, look, technology keeps us tethered to work at all times. But we need to learn what those boundaries look like for ourselves. And, you know, I was just reading an article, I think, yesterday where it said, We need to respond right away, like in the moment, right now, instant gratification, immediacy, because you get an email, you respond and like, we're so programmed. And I think being able to communicate, being able to set boundaries for yourself, and I'll give you a really good example of this, like in my calendar, I have when I'm driving from Ann Arbor to Detroit and back, when I'm with my daughter in the evenings, what evenings do I have her? Because as many know, I'm going through divorce right now. So I need to be extra vigilant about carving out that time and communicating to my partners that 
no, this is golden time with Max. Like you won't talk to me. I guess the only person I will pick up the phone for is Jim. And so Mr. Jim has become a popular um, third voice (laughs) sometimes, but I think that's important to be able, because if someone can't find me, they don't know where I am. And it's something I'm doing that's important in my personal life. I don't care if people know, like, I think that's really important for people to know. Um, I also think I've always wanted to show a positive face when it comes to work with Max. And so I don't come home and like complain about my day to, you know, to my daughter. I mean, I wouldn't complain, but like, she doesn't hear about the crappy day I had, you know, I'm happy. I go to work and I'm happy about going there. I want her to know that, that I love my job and I love what I do and the people that I do it for. And so we recently had a family picnic in Detroit and Max loves coming to work with me on the weekends. She's done it, but not during the week. And so she came downtown with me and sat in my office. She went to every single person's office and introduced herself. She had a loose tooth and everybody was like, oh boy. And lo and behold, I'm on a Zoom call in my office when Max, you know, announces, oh my gosh, mom, I just lost my tooth. It's in my breakfast sandwich. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I was on the phone with, I think, Scott Ames from Cascadia Capital. I'm like, hey, Scott, guess what? I picked up my camera and I showed him Max. And he didn't know she was sitting there because she was out of the video screen. But, you know, I, I think being real about who we are as humans, that we all have multiple, we wear multiple hats and it, it humanizes us, right? Like we're not go, go, go. And it's all about work all the time. Like we also have lives. And I think that again, going back to Gretchen's comment, be unapologetic about that. And that's, that's really important. So we try and do a lot of events with our families and we have a lot of young kids at Huron. So, you know, organizing social activities around that. And then also just our spouses, you know, and being a a woman, one of the few women at the firm who was married at one point, but, you know, I, all the spouses were women, you know, and my spouse was man. Oh man. And so I think it's just bringing people together to just show our gratitude for our partners who put up with a lot sometimes, but, you know, just also getting to know one another as people um, and friends, uh, because we're going to be, we're going to be here for a long time. And, you know, and again, that goes back to, I really like who I work with. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, well, um, you know, I, I think it's on a related topic is around the books that have really influenced you. And I mean, one I saw in your library is traction about EOS, but <laughs> maybe we can come back to that. How boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are, I mean, what are some other books that have kind of really had an influence on, on, on you? Yeah. So a great question. I think going back to what got you here, won't get you there. It was a book actually written by Marshall Goldsmith, an executive coach, I don't know, 15 years ago. And it had a picture of a dude climbing a ladder, right? Like how do you climb the corporate ladder and, and sort of what's holding you back from that? And it listed like 20 some things that people can do or change in order to be more effective in their careers. But Unfortunately, it had, it was really written for men. And I don't think it was intentional, but um, Marshall Goldsmith partnered with Sally Helgeson, an, an executive coach as well. You know, 15 years later, this was, I think her book came out in 2017. It's called How Women Rise. 
And she wrote it with Marshall Goldsmith, but with an eye toward women. So what are the 12 habits that we as women have holding us back from our careers? And I already talked about one too much and holding your space. Um, and, you know, I, I basically have this book on my, on my nightstand. Uh, I have a couple versions. A, I keep six on hand at all times to give to every woman in my life that I meet. But also, like, I dog ear the pages. <laughs> the green is, these are the really bad ones that you have to remind yourself about every day. Um, the red ones are, okay, yeah, these are good. And when I'm doing my, you know, personal development or talking about it, I go back to that because these aren't behaviors that are changeable overnight. They're ones that we just have to keep thinking about and keep top of mind and, you know, um, just recognize that we're just doing the best we can with, with the, with, with what we have. And so um, we're all imperfect by nature. No one's perfect. And so just recognizing that and focusing on the small things that you can do to move the needle are important. So super, super awesome book. Highly recommend. You've done like a, like a women's group that meets on like a monthly basis. You're like, all right, chapter this month. <laughs> I have not, but in my mentor mentee sessions with women, I will do that. I'll give them a book. I'll give them that book and say, I want you, I want to talk about one of the things that you think, one of the habits you think you have in this book and let's share some stories about it. And maybe what I've done to help me get through that. Yeah. So it's, it's been very helpful. <laughs> That's awesome. That the nightstand book reminds me that Jane on her nightstand, uh, she did have a book called Embracing Defeat, <laughs> but we quickly replaced that book with Endurance about Shackleton. <laughs> well, that applies to both your personal and your professional life, Jordan. So <laughs> I don't want her to go to bed and wake up seeing Embracing Defeat. <laughs> I will say that the, the, I think the softer way to say that, and it's a Mike Beauregard phrase that I had as a sticky on my computer for many years, it was, what did you fail at today? And so it's, if you can't be comfortable with failing, then you're not taking enough risk, right? You're not putting yourself out there enough to, to see what can happen. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned in my life. Like I play it safe type person. I don't, you know, and, but I think some of the things I've done the last few years at Huron after going through the coaching and some of the personal work I've done have really paid off for me putting my neck out there and, um, taking some risks in life is, is really important. So why, why do you think that you have been more risk averse throughout your life? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm perpetual people pleaser and have always thought that how we look, how we act, um, what we do, what we achieve is, is the most important part. And so taking risks, you know, there's an, there's a chance that that tarnishes something and someone's perception of you because it's all outward, but that's not true. It's not about- It's interesting because you and I are the same way in that where I'm also a people pleaser, but my manifestation of that pleasing comes through entertainment value. And the risk is like, oh, fuck it. He did another business again. It crashed and burned, but what is he going to do next? <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I mean, it, it also builds perseverance and resilience and a doggedness that I think is- is, you know, really awesome. What are some more risks that you think you will take in 2023? 
Well, I think that, you know, I, I guess I'm going to go backwards to go forwards, Jordan. So, um, so bear with me, but, you know, COVID, COVID and the pandemic created a disruption, dislocation in our market and in my role, right? In the business development role, like, well, A, we weren't traveling. What the heck are we going to do? There were no deals to source anyway, and no, there was no debt. I mean, the markets were at a standstill and no one knew what was coming. I had to think about, well, what else could I be doing during this time? And, um, and so I leaned into some other parts of our organization, you know, the CARES Act and some of the other things that were available to private equity in our portfolio companies, or just all the information flow that was happening, trying to find a way to be in the mix and communicate that, and also try and get some assistance to our portfolio companies and understand all the different regulations and things that were changing. And so being a thought leader in that regard, I leaned into that. And then during the leadership transition, when Jim got promoted to managing partner in January of 2021, you know, I, I leaned into our strategic planning a little bit and, you know, worked hand in glove with the third party advisor that we hired to help us facilitate that thinking. And this is when I said earlier that we were, the new team is looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, okay, what's worked historically, what hasn't worked because the markets are changing or different than they were in 1999, which is very true. And what can we be doing to, you know, for the next 20 years? Uh, what are the resources we bring to the table? And how can we leverage those resources? What more resources do we need, et cetera? And I really leaned into that. I'm a good communicator. I'm a strong project manager. Um, I can take a bunch of information, disseminate it down to something that is pithy and articulate. And I know the market really well and have lots of contacts. And so that created value. And I put my neck out there to say, yeah, let me do this. Let me lean in. And we didn't have a plan for how this was going to go or framework. We kind of we kind of did it as we went along in the most active M&A market in history in 2021. So yeah, I, I didn't get a lot of sleep that year. So, But I will tell you, because of that activity, Jordan, I'm now wearing more hats at, at Huron. And so I am leaning more into um, investor relations and yeah. you know communicating who Huron is, not just to the referral source base, but also to you know our constituents being LPs, other stakeholders, executives, and how that works across the firm for the betterment of our and the you know perpetuance of our strategy, and that goes for both internal communication and external communication. And I shared an article with Jim recently. I don't know if you saw what's. I mean, I'm sure you've heard what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter, but the lack of internal communication that is happening. I mean, he's doing the company a huge disservice culturally. And I think that the future of that company is at stake. He's not, no one knows what's going on. And I think that we have put a very strong um, uh, priority on communicating what's happening at Huron internally. Hmm. So I, I feel like I'm that, I'm the person that whispers in people's ears, like, I think we got to have a conversation about this or something, you know, like being sort of that person that's, that's mindful of it. And I think it's important in any organization to have that. And you're the chief people officer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is funny. I, I moved offices. Um, We have a fairly long office and we're getting, we're kind of consolidating because it's, 
too big of a space, but I moved from like this end down to where everybody else is recently. And all I did was have IT set up my computer because I had no time to do anything else. And the first day that I was in that new office, I had back-to-back call, conference calls. So I like shut my door and was in there and I came out and you know, someone on the floor remarked, wow, the energy is so different having you at this end of the floor. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been in my office, this new office all day with the door shut, but hey, cool. I just think changing it up and, you know, even when you have a Monday morning meeting at your firm and everybody sits in the same chair, that's a complete no-no. Like we should, you know, we need to be playing musical chairs because I think you get too comfortable. And that's one of my other big quotes that I tend to lean on a lot by Brene Brown and everybody knows her as like, you know, the vulnerability coach. And so the men out there are probably rolling their eyes, but her quote, and I use it often is we can choose courage or we can choose comfort. We cannot have both at the same time. Right. And so in order to be courageous, put your neck out there, take risks, you've got to get uncomfortable. And Jordan answering your question about why I haven't and maybe why I am is I've gotten more comfortable with who I am and being more vulnerable and being vulnerable doesn't mean you cry in the office or anything, guys. It means being able to actually identify and talk about um, your feelings and a bunch of other things, just being, putting yourself out there and opening yourself up a bit more. And so that I think has been a huge lesson for me in terms of getting uncomfortable. I love that point. It actually reminds me about uh, why I wear t-shirts. So, okay, please do tell me why, Jordan. <laughs> I left banking for a reason. Um, oh, okay. But is, uh, these collars are too restrictive for you. They're too restrictive. Um, doesn't show off the guns. I mean, not really any guns here. Uh, I run, I don't lift. Um, and I just shrink my shirts. Um, but, what, but I was going to these conferences and just, you know, for the past three years and really the past couple of years, like going to the SBIA conference, going to the McGuire Woods conference. And I'm just like, oh yeah, by the way, you're the only one here in a t-shirt. And then what I recognize is that it's my brand. And then people come up to me because they instantly see 51 Labs. Oh, you're the guy, you're the LinkedIn guy and you have the same t-shirt. And it's also just become like, this is who I am. This is my messaging. It's, I want to be a sense of approachability, but also what I've discovered three years later, it's a brand mm-hmm. now, but it wouldn't have come there unless like the courage, like, oh, this is going to be super uncomfortable, not wearing what every other man at this conference is wearing right. with the blazer and then, you know, the, the khakis or maybe some jeans and then, it, but it took three years to realize, like, just do your own thing. It's yeah. not a signal, like, uh, it's not a value judgment either way. It's just, this is what I am comfortable with. And right. I'm going to do Right on, right on. You know, in order to have good communication within a team and to be working well together, you have to trust your partners. And I don't mean trust in the sense that they're not going to lie to you. I mean, sure, that's important. But trust that they're going to do their job and then some. Trust that We all have our swim lanes and we've been really good and thoughtful as a leadership team in making sure people are really clear about what those swim lanes are and then let your people run, let them do what they do best, empower them to get the job done and give them the space to either succeed or fail because when you fail, you actually learn and, and then that gets you out of the weeds and the, and, and the soup making to be more strategic in the stuff that maybe you're not in 
the swim lane doing, but overseeing. And so I think that's really valuable because if you think you have to be in the room for every single decision and every single deal and every single whatever, you will never get anywhere. You're getting in your own way and in the way of the firm making progress. It's difficult. And like, when do you trust? Because you're hit on a key point here, which is trust them to do it and do more. And then what I realized for us is that we have, when that has failed is actually because of us not training to empower them. It's great to empower some, but if they empower them and they don't know what they're doing, then you haven't done your job. And so that's why we have really focused more on training and like daily training. And it, so they can, so we can empower the team. That's right. Um, Well, and I, I go back to the whole investing in your team and the fact that I wasn't the only one who used Lauren, actually, Mike Zukas, one of my colleagues did as well. But I, but I think investing in the team from a training and development perspective is critical, especially in private equity. Because you think about the career trajectory for an analyst and associate of VP, like it's all about execution. It's all about modeling. It's all about technical skills, structuring, writing, et cetera. When you get make that move from VP or director or principal to managing director or partner, all of a sudden, those technical skills aren't necessary anymore. Like you got people to do that for you. All of a sudden, it's about your EQ, right? Emotional intelligence. It's how do you negotiate? How do you get someone to say yes to you? How do you convey a mess, a hard message to someone? How do you say no to someone? How do you give people feedback? Like all the things that we've been talking about. And a lot of times that doesn't come naturally to people, but I think the skills are all there to be learned and I'm a lifelong learner. And so I knew that, I knew that if someone just told me what I was doing wrong, I could just go try and do it right. (laughs) But but that, I think that's really important too. All right. We're going to get to the next section, which is called hot takes. All right. (laughs) Hot take question. Number one, what are your tips for new business development professionals? Tips. Find a mentor. <laughs> You're leading to that. It might seem like a general. If anyone needs me, no, I'm, I'm not even joking. Find a mentor, someone in the industry that you look up to and admire who's done really well and talk to them, build a relationship with them, meet your peers. One of the best things I did was form a best practices group where we share what we're doing and how we're doing it, what went wrong, what what worked, what didn't. And that is truly invaluable. And a lot of people think, oh, I can't share competitive information with my with other private equity firms. There's too many of us out there. We all get lost in the shuffle. It's fine. And the third thing is, you know, meet people, put yourself out there, network, build a network. And I think that's people say that it's harder to actually do that. And I don't mean get 8,000 LinkedIn contacts, even though I do have that. It's because I have taken business cards or met each one of those people over my 25 or 30 year career. And, and that, you know, when, when you give to your network, make an introduction, that is going to come back to you at some point, might not be the next day, might not even be the next year, but building a network and leveraging that network to your advantage is something that is, is 
so meaningful and so rewarding um, later on in your career. You know, we had a deal that, you know, I, I'd like to say we sourced it from LinkedIn, Jordan, because of all the great work that, that 51 Labs did and is doing for us. But someone saw a post that we made on LinkedIn, a business owner who happened to kind of kind of know Jim Mahoney from Villanova. And he reached out to Jim and said, oh, I saw your post on LinkedIn. It's been a while since we caught up. Let's have a conversation. Well, it turned out into a company that we partnered with under um, an exec factor initiative that we are calling Exigent that we announced recently. So I say that because there are people from all over your career and your life and trying to keep connectivity in a variety of ways is really important. And then I'll also say don't burn bridges. And again, this is so cliche, but you know, my personal journey to Huron Capital started when I was 22 years old. Yes, 22 years old. I was working at Comerica Bank in Detroit as a credit analyst. Um, fast tracked my way through that program to what I what was known then as the private equity group. Didn't have a clue what private equity was, but it sounded cool and sexy. And so I took a leap. And lo and behold, this team was investing in private equity funds before that we couldn't do that anymore. And also underwriting the debt um, necessary to affect the acquisitions by those private equity firms. And Huron Capital was one of Comerica's biggest clients at the time. And I underwrote and closed the largest debt facility to that date that Huron had ever had or raised called for York Label. And that was when the firm was five people. And to this day, I, I will remember the closing of that deal, which was in a boardroom in Honigman's office, because that's what we did when we had fax machines with credit agreements coming across. God, I sound old. Um, and we had a drink afterwards a Friday evening and toasted to this deal getting closed. I, it was my first LBO. I had no clue what I was doing, but you lean into your business advisors and legal team to help you out. And, you know, it came full circle for me. You know, it's a relationship I, I, I created back in my early 20s that I nurtured throughout my career every time back in Detroit, talk, you know, reaching out to them and talking to them. And, you know, one business meeting 10 years ago resulted in me joining the firm. So it's um, a huge testament to that. And, you know, oh, by the way, it doesn't hurt that, you know, one of our founding partners, his mom was my gym teacher in elementary school. So <laughs> Always nice to have a personal connection with someone as well. Um, Mrs. Moke is, is a pretty awesome individual. So, <laughs> all right. I think that's a wrap. Okay. Um, we have covered a lot of ground <laughs> in this first episode together. And thank you for sharing all this. You bet, Jordan. I was so glad we could finally do this together. Thank you for having me. Right.